With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, so, so again, really exciting things are happening in the world, uh, despite there not being a lot of great news, I'd say, by mainstream media. Uh, my guest here today is, is Patrick Sweeney, and um, he needs no introduction from me. I'll let him introduce himself because a uh, very long storied career through Web 1, Web 2, and, and really in big data in and of itself. Uh, but, but the point I want to make as we're kind of getting into, uh, you know, really, I would say, uh, this, this mature bear market that we're in today. Uh, Bitcoin is, is still a $20,000 stable coin at this point. Um, but we're seeing the, the true innovators, the, the leaders of Web 1 and Web 2 finally showing up to Web 3. Um, the, the, the asset class has matured enough. It's still extremely volatile. Uh, but we're starting to see the comparisons and connecting the, the dots uh, between Web 1, Web 2, and where Web 3 should be going. Um, and there's a lot of different pieces in there. And so, Patrick, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you introduce yourself. And then we'll kind of talk about like where you came in. Because traditionally, someone like yourself, I would, I would assume, would come Come in uh, more at the blockchain level, and that's not what you—that's not the project you chose here. So, um, but please give us your background about how you got here today. Well, thanks, Jay, and and thanks, Y Wales. It's it's been so uh, rewarding, so much fun to be part of this community uh, since the beginning. And and uh, Jay, you know, like every other guest, I thank you for putting this together and for making this happen. You've changed a lot of lives because of it. So, um, <clears throat> I'll you know I'll give you the the background, but. The, the reason I started DaVinci, my current company, um, is to save the planet by mining crypto. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, and I'll just give you a quick little um, background of, of where I started. So I spent six years training for the Olympics. I was a rower, single scholar, second in the Olympic trials, 10th uh, in the world, raced three years of the World Cup, and then got dumb jock entries into uh, most of the top business schools and uh, ended up getting an MBA. Um, and then right out of school, or actually even uh, my internship was with the largest real estate company in the world at the time, uh, Trammell Crow, and they wanted to start a, a technology practice. And they just started one on the West Coast, and they wanted me to start the one on the East Coast. So I ended up being part of a basically a two-man team, and we built about 6 million square feet of data center space. And um, uh, it was during that time when I realized everybody was building data centers the way they were 20 years ago. Um, my dad was a key punch operator for Ross Perot. So, uh, so I can still read uh, Manila cards, <laughs> which, which is a skill that's earned me at least one beer. <laughs> Most kids can't uh, even read cursive nowadays, so you're well right, advanced yeah, on archaic exactly. languages. So, um, so I decided to leave Trammell Crow, which was, you know, full of trepidation because my bosses were so good to me and it was such a great opportunity. And, and, um, uh, and the first thing they asked when I gave my resignation was, you know, can we invest in your company? So it was, it was really great to, to work for a bunch of solid people like that. And um, I started uh, what was one of the first cloud hosting companies called ServerVault. And um, 
I ended up raising 30 million bucks and uh, of venture capital and debt and put data centers in Northern Virginia, uh, Northern California, in uh, City West in Ireland, Dublin's, you know, big data center area. And uh, we did the first cloud hosting. People didn't have to come to the facilities. They didn't have to own the gear. We did all the management monitoring. Uh, we completely changed the structure of the data center to more than triple the density of servers that you could put in. And uh, it was really, really innovative stuff. Um, sold Server Vault, uh, not because I wanted to, but because the venture capitalists had control of it at that point. And um, uh, after that, went up to MIT, took some technology out of there and, and started an RFID company. And this, this company called Odin, um, I ended up bootstrapping and um, grew it over 10 years and sold it to a big international conglomerate. I owned 80% of the stock. The employees owned the other 20%, so everyone was happy. And uh, we did a lot of, we did everything from uh, software and firmware development to creating our own custom chips to, um, you know, some really cool stuff for the DoD. And then after that, I started a social media company. So for anyone who... Um, skis at Vail Resorts and uses something called the Epic Mix. That was uh, all of our technology that allows you to update photos automatically from their cameras and track your feet skied and kind of like Strava for skiing. <laughs> Very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super cool and it's still in use. And then, and then uh, after that, spent six years writing a book, which became uh, number five bestseller on the Wall Street Journal list and uh, called Fear is Fuel and thought I was pretty much retired uh, and, uh, you know, enjoying life. I've got a house in Chamonix and love rock climbing and skiing and paragliding and biking and everything that Sham has to offer and was doing a bunch of speaking gigs. And, and, uh, that's when I, I got hit with basically the bug to start a company. So, uh, that, that was the, that was the timing for how I got to, you know, where we are today. And, you know, I remember meeting you right when you're like, you're, you're looking for your next thing and you, you kind of felt that this was your, your industry, but there was a couple other projects you were, you were looking at. And it's really been interesting to see again, a big data guy that, that you built data centers, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of square feet, um, you know, and, and then racked vertically. So, I mean, the, the, the cluster densities are, are huge, um, but it's a very different world talking about, you know, kind of how you manage big data in, in web one versus, versus where it's going in web three. What, what's the, what was kind of the, um, you know, before we get into Da Vinci and everything you've done, what was the, the biggest driver of which kind of got you to go like, I really need to do this. Like, I really need to, to, Put the skis down for a few minutes, um, and and you know you're retired. You, you've living the life. You've you've exited. You've yeah. you've you've won. Um, what what was the kind of the the, uh, the the core concept or issue that brought you back in? I'll tell you, Jay. It it, it goes back to skiing. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, so in Chamonix, there is the there is um, probably the world's most famous off piste or or backcountry run. It's literally uh, twelve miles long, twelve or thirteen miles long. And you go up to the base of Mont Blanc and you ski down, you ski all the way to town. <clears throat> and so the first time I did this was 11 years ago. And, and you know, I, I mean, I felt so insignificant when you're in the middle of these glaciers and, and the mountains and it's just spectacular. And that was one of the ways, one of the things that drove me to fall in love with Sham. And um, when I first did it, when you finish without going to town, you can finish two ways, without going to town or you can get on a train uh, that goes down into town or you can ski down into town. So 
it, it going on the train cuts a little bit of time and a little less skiing. So when conditions are bad, everyone takes the train. So, um, I remember climbing up the first time you climb up this set of stairs, there's a, a gondola about halfway down, but you've got to climb stairs to get to it. And I started climbing the stairs and this is 2010. And, uh, I got a little ways up and I saw a marker that said 2008. And then I climbed up a little more and I saw a marker that said 2004. And then I climbed up a little more and I saw a marker that said 2000. And these were the level of the glacier by year. Hmm. And then you get all the way to the top, like 400 feet, and it says 1996 and 1991. And I couldn't believe it, right? I, I couldn't believe how much the glacier had deteriorated. And, um, you know, so that, that was me first getting there. And then we had a, we have a glacier right out in front of our house. So I can, I can look out on top, onto this glacier and every year it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And so my daughter and I, uh, became environmental activists, right. And, and became, uh, way more concerned about energy usage with data centers, about, um, you know, pollution from cars, about, uh, construction, you know, greenhouse gases and, and uh, this is about the same time I started gambling with Bitcoin, right? 2017, 2018. And uh, as a rower, uh, you know, I knew of the Vi, And so followed, you know, followed their journey. And I thought, well, I'll just put a little money into it and, and see what happens. And then I thought, you know, I ran data centers for so long. I can, I can host and I can, I can, you know, put up my own validators and mining facilities. So I started mining in a, a couple different locations, one in France and then two in the U.S. And then I realized um, how much the the mining was being done in such a brute force way, and how much was being done on fossil fuels. And it was at that point that I said, you know what, this is Web3 is, is the most innovative technology that I've seen in my career, in my lifetime. It's going to have a bigger impact than the internet did. And so I was totally sold on Web3 and on proof of work and, and the consensus mechanism that it provides and the security and, you know, all the arguments we know. But I wasn't sold on how they were mining. And, um, and one of the things that I've known in any emerging industry is the real successes and the real weaknesses don't emerge until, you know, it starts to go up the hype curve, which is, you know, which is what's been happening. And what I saw was a monopoly on mining machines and mining machines that were made to run one at a time. And, and people like, like Fred and Dave and, you know, uh, everyone else who's out there mining, putting hundreds and thousands of them in line, in serial, adding more fans, chasing this diminishing return of, of air cooling. And I thought, this is exactly like storage was in the, in the 1990s, right? Until EMC came along and they came up with this idea of we only need a, a small processor and a lot of blades for the storage power. And I said, someone needs to be the EMC of, uh, of mining on crypto because you, there's nothing right now that is one, um, you know, kind of the supercomputer that's needed and a system that's needed. And then number two, we don't need data centers anymore, right? The data centers should be obsolete because we need an appliance that can sit at ground zero, sit behind the grid. I think most people, most Y whales know that 62% of energy produced in the United States is lost every year. It's either abandoned or lost through inefficiencies. 
if you have something sitting at the power generation on the microgrid that can use that energy, then you've got a much more efficient energy system. So my idea was to create the most powerful mining system in the world, and then everyone would want it, and I'll only sell it to people who are going to use it on energy or use it to fund more renewable energy. So that's the genesis of DaVinci, which we took a year and a half in stealth mode to develop our first prototype and then uh, launched the company back in July. Well, let's just dive right into DaVinci, what it, what it is, and, and your first product that you guys have just, just really debuted. Yeah, the, the first product is the Dragonfly, which is now, um, it's, a, it's a box about the size of a refrigerator, and I'm going to take you down uh, into our production facility in a few minutes, and, and people can have a look at it directly. But um, it's like a, you know, a big uh, restaurant-sized Sub-Zero freezer or fridge, and um, the generation we're working on right now is about 10 petahash for 200, 000, uh, for, uh, 200 kilowatts. Hmm. Or, and, and so uh, it's hyper-efficient. And most importantly, it's got, it's got really uh, about 70% less electronic waste. So that, that's super important, too, because, you know, we're putting less toxic, toxic shit out in the environment and creating something that requires a fraction of the maintenance and a fraction of the attention and, and serviceability. Because the, the system we've designed basically has four immersion tanks and then 22 blades in each tank and one central control board. Now, compare that to a, a Bitmain or any, any of the Chinese-made uh, mining machines or mining rigs. They have three blades in them, four fans, two fans on one end, two fans on the other, a controller board, and a power board. So all of that extraneous, extraneous stuff just goes away when we put just a single board in the tank. And those boards are also hot swappable. So mm. right now, if any mining facility wants to do an upgrade, if they want to change from the S19s to the XP, they're literally taking out the whole data center and replacing it. And there's all that electronic waste. There's all that labor to do it. And it's just, it's just hyper inefficient. And plus, one thing that I'm particularly proud of, we're the first uh, company made in the USA uh, for mining machines. That's so huge. everything everything we do is right here uh, in Boston, actually Westboro, Mass, about forty five minutes from Boston, and we do uh, all the design, assembly, and and everything here except the ASIC chip. That that's really amazing, and you know, there's a reason why <laughs> there's only a few places in the world that can make those chips. Um, but but you know, to me, this really sounds like a very interesting prospect, and it, it showcases an evolution um, in, in data processing uh, for for a variety of reasons. Not just because it is modular and mobile, um, but because it's designed to go somewhere that traditionally data centers don't go, and that's the source of power. Um, we we've certainly seen our, our fair share of containers, um, you know, air cooled containers of which you can go out and buy and I'm sure there's a few of them are on sale right now with with where Bitcoin prices are um, yeah and that was designed specifically for a reason. You you can pour a pad uh, with with really no construction permit needed. Just here's a concrete pad. The power is you know less than a hundred yards away. Internet is is solvable in, in a variety of different ways because it's Bitcoin. It doesn't need you know high speed you know bandwidth. Yeah. It just needs power. It needs a lot of power. Um, and and when a majority of your power, and you can probably tell me what that what that percentage is, is going to just cooling. Um, the, these devices, uh, you know, we, we've taken a bad situation and made it worse. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not just the power and what's called the parasitic load, the, the load that doesn't directly go to computing, but goes to, to cooling and goes to um, uh, managing the system. Excuse me, it's not just that, but it's it's also the ability to get the maximum performance out of the system. So because we're taking a board that has, again, a lot less electronic waste, right? No heat sinks on it, no fans on it, nothing extraneous. We're taking just the board with um, 144 ASIC chips on it, dunking it in a cooling fluid, and then shutting it, letting it run, we can run that because it's in immersion cooling. We can run that at 80% higher processing speed than you could if you were air cooling it. And that's the, that's the huge advantage from a return on capital perspective. No, it's massive. Um, let's, let's take a second and let's just go ahead and hit the, uh, you know, address the elephant in the room, and that is proof of work um, yeah. and and energy usage and why. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and state my theses because, you know, I'm the host, so I get to do so. Um, and then really want to kind of hear from from you as, as someone who's in this industry and you're very climate focused, you're very environmental focused. Um, my personal viewpoint is is proof of work uh, is the best consensus uh, mechanism for blockchain. Uh, still to date, it is it has not been hacked. It has not had any issues. Uh, it has been running entirely hands off with no dev team uh, managing it for over a decade. So so proof of work right now has has a variety of things there. From an energy standpoint, um, I I don't buy into the FUD um, of, of this is a, neg- a net negative to society or to humanity in any way, shape, or form. I believe that misused, like any tool or any technology, um, that it can uh, be, be wasted. You know, clearly if you're in a uh, Germany or, or a country right now that's facing a, a dire energy crisis or the state of California, like Bitcoin mining should not be on your, your list of, of um, you know, high priorities. But there's more than enough energy, as you just stated, that's being just not even used, just burnt yeah. off. I know plenty of people that have uh, oil oil fields and, and a variety of, you know, even solar and, and wind and, and water. Hydro. Um, hydro that, that yeah. just quite simply cannot use uh, the power that they have. And that's where Bitcoin really, Bitcoin and, and really any any other proof of work chain should be focused. Um, but that's my, that's my opinion that I think that there is a responsible way to do this. Um, Talk to me about how how DaVinci and Dragonfly can help accomplish that. So, Jay, I think there's two super important things that um, will drive proof of work. And one is greed. And, and, and that's always, you know, generally the, the biggest driver. And then uh, two, I think is, is um, value. And I'll explain, I'll explain both first. Greed is the easiest one. Because if you have the best performing machine out there and I can produce a Bitcoin for half of what anyone else can produce a Bitcoin, everyone's going to want my machine. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, you know, the, I'll say it again, they have to commit to being carbon neutral on their facility if they're going to buy a Dragonfly for me. And most, most energy, most renewable energy is significantly cheaper than fossil fuel. So the, the cheapest energy out there right now is wind energy. You know, on, on average, hydro uh, is super cheap as well, and, and as is solar, but less consistent. But you, you can see, you know, I mean, just, just thinking about hydro, for instance, um, Niagara Falls has, produces just tons and tons of energy, and it's producing the same level 24-7. 
And you can think about peak demands going up high at, at you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, and then cutting off for the rest of the evening. And that power is still being produced, but batteries are so expensive, you know, there's, there's no ability to store it. Proof of work, particularly if you're setting something up right behind the grid before it gets to the grid, proof of work can be a financial battery, right? Because you can take that electricity and you can convert it to digital energy. That's, that's the second part that's super crucial. Most people miss out on. And this is why proof of work is so much better than just a typical data center. And, and data centers, as you know, use about three times the global energy that um, uh, all of the proof of work consensus is combined use. So it's, it's, a, it's a better problem to address from the environmental perspective is, is to address data centers as well as Bitcoin production. And the, um, you know, the fact that we've created this supercomputer system, you can put any board in there. Right now, I happen to be putting in SHA-256 mining boards. But if we wanted to put in AI boards, if we wanted to put in video rendering boards, if we wanted to put in you know, uh, anything else, we could do that on the same system and have it sit behind the grid. But if you think about the idea of digital energy, we're taking electricity and we're converting it to a Bitcoin. Which, which is digital energy and actually has value. We can take that Bitcoin and we can buy a Lamborghini. We can buy a house. We can buy you know, whatever we happen to want to buy from that digital energy. If I send you an email and I use energy to do it and I send you or I do a social post, they have no value. Right? So there's no inherent value in anything that's happening you know, from a social media perspective perspective from a communication perspective, but there is from proof of work. And right now there's 499 coins that are on proof of work. So there's a lot of people because it's so easy to develop in a, in a way that's, uh, you know, super secure and hasn't been hacked. And, and now the lightning network, as you know, is, is seeing a lot of attention. And, uh, here at MIT where I've got a lot of guys, you know, that I've hired out of MIT are, are, uh, they're doing tremendous amount of stuff on the lightning network. Yeah, and and I think that there's a lot to be said around exactly what you what what you're speaking about, which is you you want to responsibly use the energy that's that's already lost. Um, th- this isn't something that that you need to create entirely new wind farms for. Um, you know, the the global hash rate uh, will continue to rise over time, and I think that you know yep. without us doing the deep dive into hash rates and and you know how Bitcoin really operates, there is a lot of of resources that something like the Lightning Network will take that basically allow the hash rate to stay consistent and allow the lightning network to take on a lot of that actual use case to mi- to do these microtransactions without the heavy uh, mining uh, that would normally be required for a, a transaction on on the the Bitcoin network um, the way I, I've, I've and I've seen a couple you know early uh, videos of, of dragonfly the way I equate this is I, I used to run retail operations I've got you know stores all over the country and, and whatnot um, I would never for one second think about operating a vending machine I'm not going to buy it I'm not going to operate I'm not going to mess with it but if somebody comes to me and says hey you have an unused break room you know there's a need for this that your employees would like this this vending machine we're going to maintain it we're going to operate it we're going to make it happen um, we're just going to give you a check at the end of the month that's a very easy proposition and guess what that's why that's where how 90% of, of vending machines around the planet operate is is by a, a singular vendor 
that's not exactly your model, but but it really does seem consistent that you're trying to take the hard work out of people's hands where they don't have to have a team on site of people that are that are you know, blockchain geeks or anything else to maintain these, it's truly a, a, almost a self-sealed system, correct? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. We think of it as an appliance, Jay, and it is near zero maintenance. So, um, you know, we haven't had enough in the field experience to, to get a, you know, time to live for um, pumps or, or things like that. We just go off of manufacturer specs right now. But the truth of the matter is we've got more than 100 sensors in each unit. So if something happens, first, we, it automatically tries to correct uh, and then secondarily, it'll send us a notification of what's happening. So if a board fails or a power supply fails, which are you know the only real uh, failures that we've seen thus far, someone can go out and literally, as you'll see in a second, just pull a board out without stopping mining, right? So they can, we can hot swap them, take one board out while everything else continues to produce revenue, put the new board in. And, um, and that's, the, you know, that's the type of design that makes this perfect for microgrids. And microgrids are the future of mining and the future of proof of work. So anyone from, uh, you know, this, this family in the mountains of Italy who have a, a river that they've put a turbine on to the state of Texas are creating their own grids and deciding what they're going to do with them so they can create relationships with vendors like us who say, okay, all the wasted energy, you can flip up over to us automatically when your microgrid doesn't have the demand and we'll start mining for you. And so it's, a, it's, it's, all, it's fully automated and, and like I said, near zero maintenance. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And one of the things that, that's so important about mining um, overall, mining data centers versus, you know, and, and I'm, we're just going to focus on Bitcoin mining. I'm not going to get anything else. Yeah. Um, is, is there's a very big difference between Bitcoin mining um, and other data center providers. Like if you are saying, hey, I want to do video rendering. Hey, I want to do data storage. You have to have an SLA of 99.99% if you're going to even be in, in a bidding contract for anyone because no one's going to say, you know what, I only need my data 50% of the time. I only need access to my data on days when there's excess energy. Um, but that's one of the things that is very like achievable. And in fact, the, the industry's norm is if, if your grid, if the grid that you're on is in trouble, shut down the Bitcoin. It's entirely yeah. fine. It's not going to yeah. hurt anything. That's that's a hundred percent. There's a couple applications like that, Jay. But you're a hundred percent right. I'm I'm plugging in uh, here, so I don't I don't lose this. Um, but you're a hundred percent right on the um, the ability to shut down without any penalty. And so that that provides you with a mechanism to do a couple of things. I know there are some power plants, um, particularly like Wyoming and and Montana, where um, uh, Compute North has some of their facilities where if they were to shut down uh, out of demand, it would cost them more to spin back up to get to their, their sort of base tier of power production. So what they're doing is using that base tier of power production when there's no demand, it was just, it was just going literally out the pipe. And so now they've, they've got, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining capability in there that is used at that level when there's nothing else. So, so that, even though it's not a green situation, they're saving that external uh, additional energy that you'd take to, to restart things again because the Bitcoin mining is keeping it, 
consistent. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of use cases like that. Patrick, one of the things we hear constantly, and it's, it's over and over and over, is this, this argument that, that, that there's no real value <clears throat> for Bitcoin, um, that, it, that it's just a bunch of computer algorithms that, that you know, can be shut off at any given time. Um, but we've seen now over a decade of, of innovation. We've seen now over a decade of use case. Um, and, and to be clear, Bitcoin has, has over the last decade, uh, you know, outperformed almost any other uh, asset class uh, and then by itself because even at twenty thousand you know dollars which is where it sits today um, you know I they were a fraction of a, of a cent uh, when launched with with no with no um, you know inherent value and today there's still not a lot of usage what's the when when people kind of give you that that you know hey there's no use for this what, yeah. what's your what's your response because I'm sure you hear it a lot yeah so the the, the question is there's no use for it my initial response is always, there's somebody I can go to right now and trade my Bitcoin for any currency in the world. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick a currency. I'll take one of my Bitcoins and I'll trade it for it. Because there's enough people who believe that that digital energy, that, that thing that costs money to produce, so it has an actual cost, is worth something. Just like a piece of paper that happens to have some fancy stamping that's difficult to copy has worth to people who believe it has worth. And so it's, it's no different because there are people who believe that it has value. Now, JP Morgan did a really interesting study that they looked at all the costs that go into a Bitcoin. And they said, we can determine fundamentally that because the, the um, hash rate, global hash rate is going up, the mining difficulty is going up, your share of mining for this amount of computing power is going down, we can determine that at every stage in the growth of Bitcoin, there was a cost associated with it. And a lot of people think that if the, if the current market price goes too high above the cost, that that there's a market imbalance, which there was last year when it hit, you know, 63 or 64 or whatever, whatever it hit. JP Morgan was saying, you know, the cost with today's energy prices and everything else, this shouldn't, we shouldn't be buying these for more than 35. And, and so you can look at it as an actual cost to produce it add a profit margin on top of it, and that should be sort of your market range. So that's, that's a very easy way for people in the financial market to comprehend the value behind a Bitcoin. You know, Patrick, that's a really interesting perspective in there. And, and we've always looked for where is Bitcoin going to kind of level off? Um, where, where are we going to see some of the volatility? And again, volatility is fine from a certain perspective, but, you know, being able to, to move or drop or crash by, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30% in, in a single, in a couple hours, it's not a, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough asset class. It's a tough, um, you know, asset to buy. Do you, do you think that, you know, Bitcoin, um, will possibly, instead of being, you know, a, a virtual gold, um, will be kind of converted to a virtual energy, you know, virtual store of energy. Yeah. Um, and, and that would level off the price. Well, I, I think what levels off the price, Jay, is, is, uh, an agreement on cost of energy usage, right? Cost to develop that. And, and a proxy for that is market cap. Right, so right now the market cap is low enough that we have big swings in different directions, right? And yep. those big swings, you know, people who are speculators, gamblers, are playing off those. And and there are people, you know, trading by the minute, trading by the second, who are going on the swings of Bitcoin. And those people go away 
when we get to market stability for Bitcoin. But the price goes up significantly. And most importantly, it's not affected by all the global turmoil that's going on now. You know, we've got 10% inflation rate in the EU. We've got, uh, you know, Ukraine and, and Russia trying to, you know, resort back to the old USSR. So we have all these things going on in the world that are affecting the, the global economy. And people don't know if Brexit is causing, uh, you know, problems in the UK, if it's a new prime minister. It doesn't matter what it is because Bitcoin will become a protection, certainly against hyperinflation. You know, it might not because it's it's susceptible to market uh, sentiment like any other investment. It might not become a, a hedge against normal three, four, five percent inflation, but against hyperinflation, it most definitely is. And and we've seen that right the past three or four months. It is it has been between nineteen and twenty three for three or four months when global infl- when everything else you know your million dollar house is dropping in value by ten thousand dollars a month. Right. If yep. if we have ten percent inflation, it's dropping. You know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. No, it's it's very. Um, there's a lot of conversations around that. All right. So uh, Patrick is on the move. Uh, we 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 took a pause on on a recording right here. He is mobilized and he is now in his uh, uh, evil lair, uh, getting ready to show us uh, some of the really the first working prototype of of dragonflies. So we talked about it, um, and now here we are with, with Patrick, and and I'm gonna let him kind of intro what we're looking at and, and how this operates. All right, thanks, Jay. Uh, I wanted to come show one of the units that we've got in the process of being built. And this is an air-cooled unit, so uh, it has its own heat exchanger, and it can freestand anywhere up to 45 degrees centigrade. So there's four compartments. Each compartment has an immersion tank, and they have uh, printed circuit boards that you just change out. That's such a key thing. So the rest of this infrastructure here always stays in place, even when new ASIC chips come out. The only thing that switch are in here, you'll see in just a second, these little boards, the printed circuit boards with about 144 ASICs on each board by our design. So this in uh, the current instantiation that we're selling is uh, about 10 petahash of output. So it's, you know, the equivalent of something like uh, 70 of the latest uh, Bitmain XPs. But when we go to upgrade, and when anyone who's using one of these things upgrades, they aren't throwing out the entire reader and fans and all that toxic electronic waste. This is so much more efficient because all this infrastructure stays in place. Again, this one's freestanding, completely self-contained, nearly zero maintenance. And I'll show you how, what we're doing in terms of putting on the, um, uh, putting on the, power supplies because we've, we've got a tremendous amount of redundancy with each power supply. So these power supplies that, that we're using, and this is actually what's happening here, is the cooling fluid is doing a liquid-to-liquid heat exchange. So we've got water pumping through it that's getting cooled off by these fans that you hear, and then we've got dielectric fluid that gets cooled by that cold water. Last thing I want to show you, uh, which is super cool, is the setup of each tank. So each individual tank has, uh, in Gen 2, has a single control board. This is super efficient, uh, not just from a parasitic load, meaning uh, reducing efficiency, but also from the ability to hot swap anything. 
that we can we can run 22 boards in each tank with one controller. So normally, in a, in a first generation setup or in a bit main setup, that would be anywhere from uh, uh, let's see, uh, 22 boards would be uh, like seven controllers or in an overclocking situation it would be 44 controllers. So we're able to go from 44 controllers inside uh, the Gen 1s down to four with the new tank. And the other thing uh, about the, the boards is they're all completely hot swappable. So you can see they, I don't know if you guys can see that or not, but um, the board pops out the power and communication are all internally uh, routed and closed, so there's no extraneous wiring. It's really a, a super elegant design. So let me uh, walk a little bit away from the machine now because it's so damn loud. But that's the you know the design is really much more efficient. Uh, significantly more environmentally friendly because a lot lower uh, waste and near zero maintenance. So it's it's really the way that mining should be done. And you can drop one of those things. You don't have to build a data center. You don't have to uh, you know put in any infrastructure. You just find some place to plug it in, and it starts mining. So it's it's really a a cool design. Let me go back up to the office, and then we can pick it back up. Patrick, I mean, really amazing technology that you guys have put together. I mean, Dragonfly, the concept that you can have a self-sealed, remotely managed system um, that that has the levels of redundancy that you guys have built in, as well as the efficiencies uh, to energy usage, e-waste. Um, I hope that the entire industry copies what you're doing and goes in that direction. Oh, I would love to yep. see you you build as many of these as possible and have global, uh, you know, kind of global dominance. Um, it really does showcase that you can take three steps back and really look at the problem from a very different perspective and use yeah. a similar answer, but in a much more elegant solution. And, and Jay, the, there's a couple things to it. The elegant solution in the system approach in a self-contained unit, I mean, that's that's a huge differentiator. But the, even the manufacturing, you know, some of the guys you saw down there, the, the capability, our first gen, we were using bitmain boards, right? We're using S19 uh, boards and overclocking those. The, the gen 2 that you just saw is significantly more efficient uh, from an energy perspective, but there's also three or four other things that are that are really important. It's the only board that's designed for immersion, right? So the the other boards you've seen have uh, heat sinks on them and and systems that are designed to be air cooled, and and ours is the first that's designed for immersion. One of the problems we've seen with the Bitmain is, is we classify each one into three um, performance categories. So there can be as much difference in the same hashing board using the same energy, there can be as much as 50% hashing uh, difference. So, so we classify them into A, B, and C based on their level of performance. And the reason is pure and simple. It's shitty manufacturing and, and, and QA, right? They're, they're just pumping out as many as they can. And, and, you know, they don't care about performance because people are buying them hand over fist. And most people, you know, aren't going to take the time to, 
to segregate them like that. So there's there's a number of big advantages that that we have, uh, you know, with this immersion only made in the USA, really transparent in how we do things. And so I do think you know it's the model going forward, and um, I, I do hope we get some competition as well because there's there's plenty to go around. Yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. What is, so so today? I'm just going to ask these are a couple of Bitcoin questions, and and I'm not really going any particular direction with it. But you know, Bitcoin moves at about what twelve transactions per second? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah. so it, it might be a little bit more now, but yeah, yeah incredibly slow. Like we're you know, yeah. uh, Ethereum is working their way up, but you know, Solana is is uh, you know going after Off you know ha- half a million uh, transactions per second. I think they they. Uh, Prior to one of their their crashes, uh, you know they hit about four hundred thousand um, and you know, became unstable and, and, and goes. But when we're talking about Bitcoin, you know twelve, let's double to twenty four. Let's even double that again to to you know maybe fifty. It's not designed to to move at the speed of a, of a true global economy. It's designed for security, uh, redundancy, and reliability. That's where all of a sudden these lo- and, and and Jay, it's designed for scalability. True. Right, so, so it can get significantly bigger. That's one of the areas where some of the L ones, you know, and other coins have difficulty. They might be fast, but they can only be fast to a certain threshold. Yeah, and and the point is that you know there's ways to scale Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network through Lightning and other level twos and level zeros, which is which is yeah. where we need to go, and and we need to remove some of the brute force, you know, nonsense um, attacking yeah. the level one. Yeah, there. You know, not everyone needs the global uh, consensus network of of Bitcoin, and and I think that's an important thing for people to realize. If you're running a blockchain to keep track of your supply chain or or the you know the beds in your hospital or whatever, I mean, there's a ton of great uses for for blockchain, but they don't have to be on the world's most secure network. Right. And any more than you and I need to be talking in a skiff, which is a secure uh, compartmentalized information facility that DOD uses. Right. We don't, it, those are only required for certain instances. And we're not one of them. I, I think of Bitcoin very much like that. It is super scalable. Right. They can continue to to get trillions of dollars in market cap and the consummate transactions with that. But it's not something that everyone needs to to be on. So yeah, the the Lightning Network and and some of the L twos and ideas around L twos uh, are, are really interesting that are coming out. Patrick, what's what's the roadmap look like for the next six to twelve months for you guys? For us, it really looks like um, laying down uh, a nanometer less <laughs> with every you know eight to twelve months. So in the mining world, the efficiency comes with the size of the chip. And right now you've got, uh, you know, everyone from some of the older models, which are maybe 24 nanometers to the newer ones coming out are seven nanometers. So we've got a global roadmap, both with our own uh, chip design and and our own chip designers and with a bunch of really great partners to go, uh, you know, 11, 7, 5, 3, and then see what happens after that. So, um, So for us, we're an innovation company. And my goal is is twofold. One is to get us up to a reasonable size and then turn over the, the helm to a, a CEO who really wants to scale and, and build this up into something amazing. And then I'm going to start a nonprofit arm of DaVinci where we give the older generation units to countries or municipalities that want to use them to fund renewable energy. 
So I want to take the the old boards and the the ones that are you know replaced by Gen two and Gen three, and give them to countries that want to pay for hydro plants or pay for geothermal or pay for wind farms. So that's the that's that might be the three year vision rather than the six to twelve month vision. Hey, listen, it all depends on when the next bull run hits and and uh, yeah. you know how when if you're able to time this right and produce those uh, in time. And you know again, Bitmain and all these other guys, it doesn't mean that they were the best. That, that was out there. They were simply the ones they were, that the, could, they were the ones that could produce. Um, yeah, during they were that the time. only ones who could produce. And and you know, an interesting thing now, Jay, and the reason I'm so excited about this and and putting so much of my own resources into it is the best time to build infrastructure is uh, at, at the late late side of a bear market, right? So if if we've got the infrastructure perfected, if we've got things really ready to rock and roll at the end of Q1 you know, beginning Q2, which is when I think we, we start to see another bull run, yeah. then we're going to be poised to take advantage of everybody out there when it comes to competitiveness for, for mining, because we'll be so much more efficient. Love it. Love it. Um, again, thank you so much for the tour. Thank you for everything that you brought, the insights and, and whatnot, Patrick. Um, if people want to know more, they want to learn more, or they'd like to, to get themselves on the list for a Dragonfly unit, where's the best way to get a hold of you guys? So the, the website's the best way. It's davinci3.io. And what we're doing, we've got a, a real transparent process. Uh, if you want a unit, you go in, sign up, say how many units you want, when you want them delivered. We'll come back and tell you where you are on our uh, waiting list. And then you've got 45 days to do due diligence. Come to our facility here in, in Boston. Uh, you know, look at, look at our data and all the historical stuff. And then you have to put a fifty percent deposit down. So, uh, so it's everything's real open and transparent, and uh, we, we just want to make sure that we're the best mining company out there for for people who want to scale and really want you know uh, no maintenance and and a hands off approach. Love it, love it. And and I already know the answer is no, but I'd say I'd love to have one. I can put it in my building here because I have four cents uh, energy. Uh, but per your earlier statements, we're coal powered here, so yeah. the cheap power is great, uh, but does not does not serve your guys's you know mission, vision, values. So I don't I don't get to have one um, until unless I put, put a whole put bunch some of sol- solar panels on the roof, Jay, and and I'll send you one next week. Sold, done. <laughs> you'll, you'll cut the line. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Why whales? Uh, again, this is Patrick Sweeney, uh, Da Vinci, and Dragonfly. Um, thank you so much for swinging by, and and really excited to see where this goes in the future. We're 100 percent going to be doing a follow. Up, uh, probably early next year once you got a few of these in the field um, and sure. thank you again for your time Wild Whales we'll catch you guys All right, next time thanks Jay alright thanks Wild Whales Wild Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse Wild Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show and your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.